Can you turn to Philippians? We've been in there over the past few weeks, haven't we? Uh, Ryan, Neil and uh, Mark have taken us through the first three chapters, so the first two chapters and a half. And last week, Neil uh, left us, uh, well, brought us through the first part of chapter three and we finished the first 11. And this morning we'll be looking at Philippians chapter three, verse 12 through to the end of the chapter. I'm struggling to find space on this. I need like a, a much bigger desk at the front here to have everything on, uh, to put everything safely on. I'm going to put your phone there, Neil. And if it falls, is it insured? No? Well, never mind. Right, let's get to it. Uh, this morning, yeah, we're in Philippians. We're looking at uh, the life of Paul and the context of Philippians. As you know, we've, we've, we've been here, hearing a number of times, but I'll run, a, run us through it again to remind us is that Paul is writing from a Roman jail to the Philippian church. And this city uh, of Philippi that he's writing to, well, the area that it was, was, was near modern-day Macedonia. And the citizens are a mixture of Romans and Greeks, and I think that's helpful for us in understanding the passage that we're going to be looking at today. The Philippian church was a product of a vision that Paul had on his second missionary journey because of Paul's fervency and desire to spread the gospel, Gentiles were saved in this area of the world. And we can you know, glorify God that the gospel was spread towards Europe. Uh, and this is one of the ways that God did this in the early days of the church. And Paul writes to this church from his prison cell and Luke is penning these words down. And Paul has this desire for the Philippian people to know a good number of things and from what we've looked at in the past few weeks, uh, there are some real snippets that from the previous uh, passage that we've looked at, some really uh, amazing truths. And I'll run us through what we've learned over the past few weeks just to set us up nicely for today's topic. So in Philippians so far, what have we learned? We've learned to live in Christ and not comfort. We've learned to abound in love for one another, to make the gospel's fame our priority to use our time here for the glory of God, to be in Christ and to be self-forgetful. It's such a, um, a lovely phrase, to be self-forgetful, to put glory, uh, to glory in God and not ourselves, not craving for personal glory. Live holy and blameless lives, living in unity with the church. To serve the church body, even at great cost to ourselves and to find our safety in the righteousness of Christ and not our own. Uh, and Paul writing that himself, uh, you know, he was reminded of his, his previous life of being a religious zealot and then being changed magnificently by the beauty of the gospel. And here in chapter 3, verses 12 to 21, Paul is calling us, calling us to a mature pursuit of Christ, pouring out everything uh, of our own being into knowing him and attaining our citizenship in heaven. In verses 1 to 11 of chapter 3, where uh, Neil uh, uh, spoke to us on uh, last week, Paul refers to his incredible change of view. He has gone from a religious zealot to a free man in Christ, uh, which he claims, whilst he sat chained to a Roman Praetorian guard. I think that's, that's quite magnificent, isn't it? That he is 
He knows he's a free man in Christ. Spiritually, he's completely free. And yet he's chained uh, to a Roman soldier. And yet he thinks that freedom in Christ is far greater than freedom in this world. And he claims that now, instead of pursuing religiosity, he pursues Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And that's where verse 11 leaves us. It says uh, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And that leads us nicely into today's passage. So let me read um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through to 21. Not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God, little g, is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is a really good user of language and analogies uh, in his writings to help paint uh, pictures for his followers uh, that are spread around the Roman Empire. I'm pretty sure as he sat there, He's thinking of particular pictures to write to particular people around the world that would resonate with them. And you can imagine Luke smiling as he pens the words. He's like, yes, Paul, that's a a boss one. Those people in Philippi are going to like that one. Those people um, are going to love that uh, analogy, Paul. They're going to get that. And in other parts of his writings, in the other books that Paul writes, uh, he uses various analogies to try and get across to, um, to, to the people that he's writing to. We see military Analogies, And you know that the, the message that he's spreading is around the Roman Empire. I'm pretty sure there are converts in the Roman ranks. Um, and this would have been really helpful. Put on the full armour of God. It would have been really helpful for those soldiers. Agriculture as well. Probably the, you know, the, one of the, well, if not the predominant uh, job uh, that would have been around uh, the ancient world at that time. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. Uh, and that would have been really beneficial for those people. Now, in this passage, and I'm pretty sure we all know exactly what type of analogy Paul is using, uh, Paul in this passage uses an illustration that would be easily understood by the Greeks, by the Romans, who loved sport. An athlete, uh, a sportsman. If you look at the passage, and there's various things in there that, you know, it's obvious, isn't it? It says, but I press on. I strain forward. I press on toward the goal. And there is a prize at the end of, uh, of it all. 
So for the Philippians, as they read these phrases, their minds would have been drawn to their favourite sports. And I know the one we think of when we think of this passage is running. Um, But in ancient Greece, there was a variety of sports. And they probably had um, the biggest impact on our world of sports today, certainly with the Olympic Games. And it's a shame that probably isn't going to happen in the near future, but never mind. Uh, Here's a list of Greek sports that... that I'm going to share with you. And there was one that stuck out for me. I'm going to go with that one today uh, instead of the running one because we hear the running one all the time. So I'm going to give you something a bit different. Um, so here's a list that I Wikipedia'd. Um, and it says, uh, so boxing or Greek phimakia. It's uh, ancient Greek boxing dates back to the 8th century when it was considered an important part of Greek athletic culture. Um, chariot racing. Uh, there's another one. Pancration. Get to that one in a second. Discus throwing. Does anyone remember throwing a discus in school? Did you get it pretty good at it, Georgina? Yeah? Um, jumping. I don't know whether that was simply just <laughs> jumping on the spot, but uh, I don't know. Running, wrestling, and horse racing. Like I said, the one that my eyes were drawn to as I looked at that list was this pancreation. Um, and having watched a few videos of pancreation, I would now consider myself a black belt in this sport. I've I've, uh, you know, studied it. I've, you know, I've looked at... I was speaking to Johnny the other day, actually, and uh, when I was packing my house up, I, re- I saw in my library uh, that I randomly picked up in, uh, in, in Borders. Uh, taekwondo. I picked it up. Uh, I've never opened it. It was a waste of money, but uh, I didn't learn it. But now I think I'm going to learn the, the martial art of pancreation. Um, anyway, this was a form of martial arts, which was a mix of wrestling and boxing. Uh, and this was a hugely popular sport in ancient Greece. And no doubt the Philippians uh, would have been, you know, even some of them in the church, some of the converts would have been budding pancreation fighters, uh, hoping and striving for glory in the various games that took place. Uh, and, you know, the, the end goal, the prize of it would have been winning the Olympic Games, which we enjoy today. Um, so Paul here is drawing similarities to the preparation and application of these sports and disciplines to the Christian life. Now, thinking about this pancreation wrestler, um, in their preparation for a bout, they would have pressed on through their training. Training camps would have been rigorous, they would have been hard, they would have been difficult, full of aches and pains. They would have strained forward, they would have lifted heavier weights, they would have ran for longer distances to increase their stamina. Neil and, and Helen, when you're cycling, I'm sure when you're you know, cycling around Sefton Park, you're thinking just that little bit more from last time. I'm pushing myself on. Mark, Julie, and Johnny, when you, you, you three used to lift weights in your apartment, uh, and you can see the physical difference in all three of you. Johnny, your arms are huge at the moment, and it's because you pushed yourself through um, those barriers and you strained forward. All of this is done because there is a goal and a prize, something at the end of the bout Uh, the ambition of being the one who all of your peers and fellows look at as a symbol of excellence in your craft. And the the final goal, as we said, is winning those Olympic Games. And what they would do is they will place on the winner an olive wreath, something called a cotinos, which was placed on their head. And this signified that this person was the greatest uh, in their craft, uh, the person who dedicated... Uh, and people looked up to as a symbol of excellence in that sport. And Paul wants his Philippian brothers and sisters to be reminded of this when he's using these analogies and pictures 
to press on and strain forward with all of your might, not for earthly gain or for you know, winning a, a sport event, but this is what he wants them to know, to know Jesus. He is our prize and our goal. So for Paul, his prize was not a physical or a material prize. It wasn't like the olive wreath or the physical display of power of that of the pancreation. Nor was it any longer for the approval of his peers. He wasn't doing it for that, uh, which he would have done when he was that religious zealot. And he knew he was at the top of, the, uh, of his, his class. And everybody looked to him as the greatest religious guy. That's not why he was doing it. Paul's prize at the end of this race, of this life, Paul's prize is knowing Jesus more and more. And then the resurrection of the dead that we see in verse 11. Ultimately, where he knows he will know Jesus fully. And that is our prize and goal. We want to know Jesus more every day. And at the end of it all, we will know him fully when we are resurrected from the dead and we are with God. And since that day where Ananias prayed over Paul and opened his physical eyes, he then had a clear spiritual focus to strain forward towards that goal with every breath and every moment and every movement to know his saviour more, which for him would be eventually be fulfilled when he was either raptured or passed to be with his saviour. So for us, just like Paul, Christ is our goal and our prize. He is our goal and our prize because of everything that he has done for us. And we're reminded of Christ's life and that Christ stepped into this world and he took on full humanity. And in taking on full humanity, he... Uh, work towards knowing that he would be working towards his destiny, which, which God the Father had set in place. And he uh, was uh, you know, going towards that cross. And every single day, he was striving, he was straining forward, and he was living perfectly where me and you cannot do. And that on that cross, he, in fact, before the cross, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that moment where he was faced with the full uh, reality of what was about to happen. He said, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And in, in great sweat uh, and, and drops of tears, uh, he, he pushed forward through that for you and me. For those of us who are Christ, he pushed forward. He persevered, he strained forward because the goal and the prize was the glory of his father and the, 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 the salvation of the church, and we sit here as, as, as evidence of that. If you are Christ's, if you are His, we are products of the work and the straining forward and uh, the pressing on of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we can, we can, you know, we have so much to give thanks for in our Savior Jesus. So we should pursue a deeper relationship with Him and a knowledge of Him every day because of this, because of everything Christ went through us. Uh, went through for us we should be straining onwards and pushing on every single day to know him more and that is the natural outworking uh, of Christ's love in us we should be pursuing him and getting to know him more until that final day we go and be with him so how do we pursue Christ how do we go about pursuing Christ in our in our day-to-day walks 
In Paul, we have a great example to follow. You know, before we were talking about how the Pancratians might have looked up to a certain athlete. Um, I, I was going to give a random name there, but I'm not going a Greek name, but I'm not going to do that. Um, Christakis, Liverpool. Yeah, they looked up to Christakis, the um, the Pancratian wrestler, uh, and they wanted to imitate him because he was uh, a great example of that dedication to the craft of wrestling. Well, for Paul, he calls his followers, he calls, not, well, the followers of Christ uh, and uh, those who looked up to him, he calls them to imitate him. And that was, for him, it was not out of pride, but it was because he knew that through his life was an example that Christ was using to, uh, to, 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 for others to follow. So he is like that Pancration wrestler at the top of his game, an example to his peers, but he's not saying imitate him from pride, but from humility. And he says it there in the past, he says, as it was Christ who made him his own. This wasn't something that Paul did himself. This was something that Christ stepped in amazingly on that road to Damascus and converted him from a man who wanted to murder and kill Christians to a man who loved Jesus. Um, and that is why he says it's not from him. So what does... Paul doing this passage he gives us a number of things that we can try and apply to our daily walk and I've I've gone for alliteration I've done that I've got five things that are um, alliteration uh, the five D's so let me let me go through them and uh, um, hopefully this is this is helpful so the first one is this uh, dissatisfaction and you might be thinking oh hang on um, dissatisfaction uh, we're meant to be satisfied in Christ and yes we are but he says this, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He knows he's not there yet. So we, like Paul, because Paul was like this as well, we should be dissatisfied with our current knowledge of Christ. We need to be pushing on and learning more about Christ. We must want to know him more and more. So there should be a righteous dissatisfaction every day. I need to pick my Bible up. I need to read it. I need to grasp more of who Jesus is. And the, the, a question, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with your situation, with, with knowing Christ? Or are you dissatisfied? Do you want to know him more? You should, like Paul, be pushing on, striving to know him more. The second one, devotion. Verse 13, but one thing I do. But one thing I, I do. Our pursuit of Christ should be that one thing that consumes us. And in being devoted to Christ, all the other things will fall into place. If we are devoted to Christ, uh, Neil, you can love Elizabeth more. If we are devoted for Christ, to Christ, Johnny, when you're working on those, um, you know, those sheets for work, you're doing it because you love him and you want to you push on and, and serve him in doing that well because you want to bring glory to him. And people will say, Johnny works hard. Why is he doing it? Because he loves Jesus. And he wants to steward the gift that God has given him. Are there things that take priority before Christ? And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Are there things that take priority before our devotion to Christ? Are there things that are causing us to, um, to, to put other things on the throne? Whereas Christ should be on that throne. And in putting him on that throne, being devoted to him, all other things will fall into place. The third one is direction. And Paul says in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind 
And when you think of an athlete, I remember Usain Bolt in one of his, his, rates, one of his races, um, and he won it because it's Usain Bolt, but he had a little look behind him and smiled at the guy who was behind him. But I'm pretty sure he could have pushed on for that world record time if he'd have actually gone and looked forward. I remember when I was a child and um, my, I was learning to ride my bike, something that you only recently did, Johnny. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, I'm sorry. That's just, I don't know why I banned you there, but I'm, I apologise. Um, but I was learning to ride a bike and we were riding on the... Um, the uh, it was one of the cinemas, I can't remember which one it was. We ride it in the, the car park at the back there. And I started, my dad had got hold of the back of the bike and I was cycling and uh, I was going, I was looking forward, I was looking straight. I was like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, dad, I'm doing it. And then I decided to turn and look behind me and dad's actually not holding the bike anymore. And then, then there's me starting to panic, daddy, daddy, daddy. And obviously I fall off, bruise and hurt myself. And it took a number of weeks for me to get out again. I'd stumbled, I'd fallen off. And I was a bit bruised from it. And that's like us in our Christian walks, isn't it? Uh, if we're not uh, looking forward towards glory, if we haven't got our eyes set on that prize of Christ, uh, on the cross of Christ, then we are likely to stumble. We are likely to fall. Any other direction is not going to aid our pursuit, but it's going to take us off track. Looking down, looking sideways, looking backwards often slows an athlete down. And here, it really, a, a massive question. It might be the biggest one out of the three, uh, out of the five. Uh, have you taken your eyes off the prize of Christ? Have you taken your eyes off the prize of Christ? I confess to it myself. Um, there's so many times in my life where distractions get in the way and... My eyes are not on, the, on, on glory. My eyes are not on Jesus. And it's those moments where uh, I struggle the most. It's those moments where uh, my relationship with Jesus is at its weakest. But when we have our eyes firmly fixed on the prize of Jesus, that is when we will flourish in our relationship with him. So have we taken our eyes off the prize? Or are we firmly fixed on the cross of Jesus? The fourth one. Uh, determination I press on toward the goal uh, to press something uh, suggests exerting pressure and effort onto something um, you know you hear the analogy often of pressing what is it coal and you get a diamond something like I don't know I might be wrong there but um, I'm every, pretty sure everyone would do that if you pressed on a coal and you got a diamond but is that right am I wrong I'm right, okay, great. You exact huge pressure on something and something beautiful comes out of it. Now, as Christians, that's the same with us. Uh, we need to press on toward the goal. We need to exert effort into our Christian walks. We press into the word. Are we pressing into the word of God? Are we pressing into prayer? Do we press into community with one another? Are we pressing into our walk with Christ? Or do other things Get more of your effort. And then the fourth one, discipline. Uh, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, Paul was disciplined um, and, and Paul was, uh, you know, he was a great example of what it meant to walk as a believer. Paul had been through so much uh, turmoil, you know, even on his first, when he was converted in his first time going out and speaking the word of God, he ended up having bricks thrown at him. 
Um, he had to escape. He had to escape the, the city by being uh, lowered down the, the side of the wall. Uh, he ends up uh, getting bitten by a snake. Uh, he ends up being thrown into prison. And yet Paul maintained discipline. Uh, you know, thinking back to that military analogy, soldiers have to be disciplined if they are to uh, achieve their objective. And we as uh, followers of Christ, we must be disciplined. Uh, we need to be mature in the faith. He uses that word as well. We should imitate those in the faith who have been disciplined for many years in their pursuit of Christ. You now we have, we're really blessed in this church, in this uh, collection of churches, uh, of having uh, men and women who have been in the faith for a long time, uh, who have been through trials, been through tribulations, and they are still walking with a passion and a love for Jesus Christ, greater than it was even in the past. And I encourage us all this morning and myself to look to those examples, look to Paul as an example, and look to those people who are examples in the gospel, and they won't be, doing, they won't be seeking affirmation in the sense of, you know, that they are great examples, like I suppose those wrestlers would have, oh, I'm the best in my field. No, they simply, as Paul would here, would want us to follow their example because, uh, because of Christ's uh, work through them uh, to, uh, to bring glory to God. Are we disciplined in our pursuit of Christ or are we lax or are we inconsistent? With these attitudes in our straining for Christ, we can be well set when life throws things our way, whenever that might be, uh, potentially a change in, in role at work or uh, wherever that might be, uh, you know, when you're struggling with a house sale or whatever it might be. Pursuing Christ, straining for Christ in every single one of life's moments, being dissatisfied with our relationship, trying to strive on for more, being devoted, uh, having direction, determination, discipline. <clears throat> Uh, we can pursue Christ and strain for him more and more in our lives. Paul, in verses uh, 18 and 19, he gives a warning to the Philippians. Let me read this part of the passage again. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And I, you know, this is something that we could spend a long time on. But simply, uh, there's two things there. One for the believer and one for the unbeliever. To the believer, know that Jesus is worth far more than anything you're tempted to devote more time to. If you're ever tempted to stray off the path. If you're ever tempted to pursue other things. Know that Jesus is worth way more. We will have an eternity with him. And in loving him in this uh, life, in everything that we do, we will find more joy in him than anything this world could ever offer. We must not be conformed to this earthly kingdom. We must not be conformed to this earthly kingdom. Uh, Paul says, tells us why in his verses. Uh, he tells us that there are those who, uh, who were walking with them, now walk as enemies of the cross of, the Christ, of Christ. It says that their God is their bellies, and that could mean a, a variety of things. But essentially, it basically means self and gratifying self before, uh, before serving uh, Jesus. And to the unbeliever, and Paul doesn't pull any punches in what he says here. He says uh, that 
uh, when we waste our times on other things, when we, uh, when we pursue other things before God, if we are not in a relationship with Christ, if we are not devoted to him, then that path simply leads to, as he puts it, destruction. Uh, the Bible is clear enough uh, for those who choose to strain away from God. And that's what most of humanity does. They strain for themselves. They strive for themselves. They put themselves before their pursuit of God. Hell is a real concept. It's a real thing. And a place where God's wrath falls upon unrepentant sinners. But knowing Christ removes that mark of destruction from a human being. Instead, judgment falls upon Jesus Christ. And in return, you receive not only the joy of knowing Christ and the joy of pursuing him in our everyday lives, but the sure hope that one day, like Paul, you will be with God in eternal joy. And this is what we call the great exchange. Uh, the great exchange that is promised in Jesus. As we were talking before, Christ went to that cross and Christ took upon himself the sin of those who by the Holy Spirit would believe in him. And in return, Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness, which is his goodness, is placed upon the believer. So as a sinner, as a broken human being, I am now before God the Father, a perfect human being because of the work that Christ has done. I still make mistakes. I still sin. I still am stumbling like I fell off my bike all those years ago in my spiritual walk. I'm still stumbling. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I don't know Christ fully yet. I haven't achieved um, I haven't achieved uh, being with God forever uh, yet. But before God, I am. I, 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 I look perfect. I am perfect because of the righteousness that he has given me through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is for all of you here who sit here as believers in Christ. You, are, uh, you have been brought into relationship with God because of the work that he has done. So for those of us who maybe are not his yet, that is on offer for you. The great exchange is there for you. You can be saved. You can be redeemed. You can be brought into a relationship with God if you stop striving for yourself. If you stop striving and putting other things before God first. And if you put him on the throne of your heart. If you put him in first place. If you make him your prize and goal. You can be. You will be in a relationship with God because of the work that Christ has done for you on the cross. Paul ends with one final encouragement for the Philippians in verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying we are not of this world. We're not from this world. Uh, those saved by Jesus are now eternal citizens from that moment where they were saved, from that moment when Paul was saved, when Ananias opened his eyes and he had that clear spiritual uh, vision now, in that moment, he was an eternal citizen of heaven. And that is the same for us when the Holy Spirit enters us, that we are eternal citizens. The Bible uses the word sojourners, which basically means a traveller. 
somebody who's traveling, someone who is an alien to the world that we are in. And that is why we're on the move. That is why we are straining and striving uh, for that day that we reach our goal. And what is our goal? Our goal is knowing Christ fully. And one day we will know him fully. We will know him in all of his glory and beauty uh, when we open our eyes from uh, this life into the next. I had the privilege a few weeks ago of going to um, my uh, fiance Beth's uh, granddad's funeral, uh, Stephen White. And I only knew him for a, a small amount of time, uh, but certainly from the stories that I heard and the conversations that I had with him, uh, he was a man who was obviously a sojourner, uh, somebody who was passing through this life, whose priority in everything that he did, in farming, in, um, in uh, the, the community around him, uh, he was sojourning, he was passing through, and his goal was reaching eternity. And, uh, you know, uh, God called him home a number of weeks ago, and he is with God for all of eternity. His eyes have been opened to the beauty of who Christ is fully. Every day, reading his Bible, he was getting to know Christ more and more. He was pressing on to know him more. But when his eyes closed and his eyes opened to the new life, to eternal life, he saw Christ in all of his fullness. And that is, that is something that we, as believers in Christ, can, can be encouraged by. Yeah, we're striving. We, we are pressing on. We make mistakes, we fall. Maybe we take steps back in our faith sometimes. Uh, maybe we, we struggle in our, our training camp, as it were. Uh, maybe the prize seems a long way off. But know that every single day as we press on, as we walk towards the cross, as we know Jesus more and more every single day, that one day we will know him in all of his glory and all of his beauty. Uh, so... Uh, be encouraged uh, to you know, strive on every day, know Jesus more, make him the purpose of your every living breath, every thought and every deed, because one day we will be with him and we will be transformed to be like him. You know, I'm excited about that. I, I have terrible knees and some of you, you know, Ryan, you're giggling there. You've seen me struggle with uh, the, 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 the knee problems uh, throughout, throughout the years, but one day I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to be given an eternal body and I'm going to be able to sprint to my saviour. I'm going to be able to sprint to him. And I'm going to be able to spend eternity with him. So the physical ailments that we struggle with, uh, they will be gone. The spiritual ailments that we struggle with, the emotional ailments that we struggle with, they will be gone. We will be restored. We will be healed and perfected. But we still have a prize to aim for in this life, don't we? And uh, let's use every day to know our Christ better, to know him more. Uh, so that he might be glorified and that others might see him be glorified and will be saved. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, uh, Paul's example to us. Father, thank you for his, his love for you, his devotion. Uh, thank you for changing his life from a religious zealot to somebody who was all for self to a man who was completely out for the glory of his saviour Jesus. Even in uh, prison, even in trials and turmoil, he put you first. He ran that race uh, with, um, with fervency and 
a joy. And I pray that we'd be able to imitate that father as he imitated his saviour, Jesus Christ, who, who gave his all for the glory of the father and for the, uh, the church that will come after father. And we, we thank you for that. We thank you that we have been brought into relationship with you. And we pray that you would uh, cause us every day, every breath of our lives to strain and strive for the prize, which is, uh, which is Jesus and which is uh, being with, with you for eternity in heaven. Help us to do that. Father, if there is anyone uh, who does not know you, who hears this message, Father, would you cause them to realise that they are straining for the wrong things, that those things will not satisfy, that those things will fade. And there is destruction for those who do not know you, but in Jesus there is, a, there is salvation, the only way, the only way of being saved. And Father, I pray that you would, you would save them. Father, would you open their eyes? Would they... Have that Damascus Road experience where, they, uh, where they, the things of the past, the things that are behind, they will put behind them. And they would now, from now on, strain forward, look forward, be devoted to Christ, have that direction towards him. Father, would you save them, we pray. Father, as we leave here, as we go um, into this week, help us to prioritise you. Help us to put you first. And we pray these things for his glory, for your glory, Lord. Amen.